0: one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. Today's guest is trombonist Wayne Wallace. From his album with his Latin jazz quintet, Bien Bien. Here is his arrangement of John Coltrane's Africa. My guest is trombonist Wayne Wallace. Uh, He and his Latin jazz quintet have a new recording out called Bien Bien. It features uh, Julian Priester on trombone and an up-and-coming vocalist named Kenny Washington. And it is my pleasure to welcome Wayne to the show. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Jason. It's a real pleasure to be here. So, uh,
0: what is it that, that draws you to Latin music? This is uh, the second album in a row now, um, and your, your last album was very uh, critically acclaimed, and I wonder what it is that, that really draws you to this particular uh, style of jazz these days.
1: I guess it's because I've always been attracted to like, where different styles of music intersect, and jazz seems to accommodate everything. And the time I've spent with Pete Escovito and the Machete Ensemble and Conjunto Libre and all those different groups, I've just loved the interaction of the rhythm section from a traditional standpoint with traditional rhythms and mixing them with jazz and different things. And it's just like it's renewing. You always come back and it gives you more energy.
0: It, it, that's interesting too. The uh, the the phrase uh, jazz being uh, accepting of things. Um, it seems like in some ways too, it, it was this music that in fact you know informed some of the early the earliest jazz music. I mean, even going back as far as Jelly Roll Morton and the you know the tinge. It, it seems like this has kind of always always been there someplace in a lot of different kinds of jazz music.
1: Yeah, um, a lot of scholars will point out that New Orleans is more a Caribbean city than it is a part of the United States. And being that part of the triangle between Havana and, I guess you could say, San Juan, you really get that interchange of energy and styles. Well,
0: will you talk a little bit about uh, your kind of first exposure to this music? I mean, I know you, you've played with everybody. You've played in every in every style of music. and uh, But I'm interested in how you first kind of got exposed to, you know, kind of really... Uh, I don't know if traditional is the right word, but, you know, kind of authentic Latin music. You mentioned some great bands already that you've played with.
1: Well, I guess my... Like everyone, you know, you hear... Cal Jader was a big part of it here. I, did, I was into a lot of early R&B back in the late 60s, early 70s on the Broadway scene here in San Francisco. And I remember working there and always seeing Cal Jader's name at the Jazz Workshop or at the El Matador. And eventually I, I met Pete Escovedo. Back in 1970, and he asked me to play uh, for a couple of days with Azteca, which I couldn't do, unfortunately. I wish I could say I played with that band. And from there, I kept getting phone calls from Latin band leaders. And eventually, I just started playing. And curiosity got the better of me, tell the truth, because they would have the percussion section in front and the horn players in the back, which were usually a bunch of jazz cats. And it seemed like the percussion guys had a whole other language besides Spanish going on that none of the horn players could penetrate. And I was like, I want to know what's really... When they say Wawanko, what do they mean? When they say Ponche, what does it mean? So I just started hanging out with those guys and asking questions, and it just pulled me deeper and deeper into the music.
0: Wayne, why do you think you were getting those early calls
1: uh, for Latin band gigs? You know that's a good question. <laughs> I'm going to say partially, and this may sound strange because I could read. Sure. A lot of those gigs, it was just like, here are the charts. We're not going to rehearse. Can you come in and play the charts? <laughs> right here, you go. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, so part of it was that, and that you know, I just, I guess, I was young at the time, and I had the energy. I wanted to do it.
0: You know, you uh, you play the trombone, and the trombone has a, a very rich history um, in this music. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people will instantly think of um, bands like Eddie Palmieri's uh, Perfecta group. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are just, I mean, there are some fantastic trombone players who've been a part of this music in various uh, regional kind of iterations. Can you talk about... Uh, you know, do you feel kind of connected to that tradition? Were there particular things on the trombone you had to learn, or ways of approaching your instrument that were new to you as you began to kind of delve deeper into Latin music?
1: Yes, actually, yes. Um, the tradition of the of the horn player, the trumpet player leading the carnival processions in the eastern province of Cuba, had a profound effect on me. Listening to the comparsas and the congas. Barry Rogers, of course, when you talk about the lineage of the instrument with La Perfecta and uh, just the, all the work. He, he Do you remember he worked with uh, the Becker Brothers in Dreams? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people forget about how versatile the musician Barry Rogers was. And I really learned the, that the horn was treated as much as a percussion instrument in Afro-Cuban or Afro-Caribbean music as a percussion instrument. I mean, you really had to think like a drummer where your placement of notes were I noticed how the singers took that same approach and it was just it was a radical turn from what I had learned from jazz and Dixieland and R&B and Sky actually so I just started really getting deep into that listening to the older Cuban songs and the music um, from the Carnival music and what's there's the other style that I like it's not coming to the it's off the tip of my tongue, but just really listening to the traditional music like I studied Dixieland at one point. It really changed my playing. You know, there's an affinity with the older blues style, like the Bessie Smith, like Charlie Green, that trombone player, like Trombone Charlie, that tune she did, um, of that style of playing, of emulating the human voice. And that was the thing that really attracted me to that Music.
0: It's interesting to hear you talk about the trombone as a percussive uh, or a percussion instrument in this context. Uh, before I started talking about jazz for a living, and I don't usually mention this on the show, but I, I used to play it for a living, and I was a Latin jazz saxophone player. And the very first band leader that I ever played with said, "You know, you gotta put away a lot of the." A lot of the stuff that you think you are bringing to this band, because people are not coming here to hear all your great you know, bebop licks, um, you need to integrate yourself into the rhythmic piece of the band first, and then let other things flow from that. And it sounds like, to me, that's kind of what I'm hearing from you, that uh, the horn parts need to be as integrated into what's happening rhythmically with the band as they are melodically or as the maybe improvisational concept uh, mm-hmm. to be. Is that mm-hmm. an accurate statement?
1: That's very accurate. The most, I guess the best thing I can say is you should play like you're dancing. Because most of that music is coming from the roots of dance music. You listen to early New Orleans music? It was dance music. <laughs> if it didn't have that pulse and rhythm, you weren't going to work. And I, I really learned that listening to Barry Rogers. He could, he was like the Jimi Hendrix of trombone told the truth. I heard this tape of him playing a solo at a concert in Central Park back in the late 60s, early 70s. The crowd went nuts. I mean, absolutely nuts. I went, okay, that's what it's supposed to be. So I've just been kind of following that. And listening to um, a lot of the players in New York that I really respect, Jimmy Bosch, uh, Papo Vasquez, Dan Reagan, all those guys know how to play that style.
0: That you, uh, are, are not afraid to take. Uh, the kind of rhythmic intensity of uh, this music and marry it to some very complex compositional uh content as well um one of the the tracks and i want to ask you about it for two reasons but one of the tracks that stood out to me uh on this record was uh, your reworking of John Coltrane's Africa um so can you talk about the arrangement of that tune and why you chose it and i also uh, i want to follow that up by asking you about Ron Stallings and just asking Okay, you to sure. About sure.
1: I've always, I really got into Coltrane. If there was such a thing as world music, he was kind of like the godfather of bringing that forward into jazz when he really started experimenting with Indian music. And of course, Blakey had done it earlier. But Coltrane just took it to another level. And when I look at a tune like Africa, it swings, it has a 6 8 feel to it, it has so many different possibilities that it just felt like the perfect composition that spoke of all this freedom all this musical freedom that that afrocentric afro-caribbean music can offer it was a perfect vehicle for it and as far as ron goes stalling's goes he that's one of the things i loved about ron was he would try anything and he would embrace it and so i thought this was a perfect song like just to go well, this is what Ron was all about, so let's just play with all of that in mind. Uh,
0: Wayne, will you tell folks who who Ron was?
1: Ron is one of my oldest friends who passed away earlier this year. Um, I've known him since the early 70s. <laughs> Funny story, I was a semi-professional soccer player for a while, and the first place I met Ron was playing soccer out in Golden Gate Park. And then we both kind of discovered we were musicians, <laughs> and from there we've been we had been working in different bands and same in different groups I would see Ron play and then we would get hired we, we were hired as a horn section to back up Dr. John a couple of different times we opened for the Grateful Dead and of course I worked with him in Machete he played in my band worked with him with Boss Skaggs but Ron um, I guess the most definitive thing for us was we both went to Cuba in 1993, 94 and 95 to study at the National School of the Arts and I think that's beyond the fascination with Afro-Cuban music. That's when the love affair began.
0: Now, listen, I don't want to get derailed here, but uh, I'm sorry, I mean, it's tons of information. But soccer is my sport. So, now are you talking? Are we talking in the NASL days or what?
1: Yeah, what? actually, I was playing in the semi-pro league here in San Francisco when the NSAL was going on. No kidding. No kidding.
0: I have just learned something that I had there was no way I probably would have uncovered
1: Well, (laughs) except for you mentioning it (laughs) and and my definition of semi-professional was I got paid
0: which hey man that's that's professional as far as I'm concerned so
1: (laughs) (laughs) it was a local club level but I actually got paid for playing soccer and after about a year of it I went I like my teeth I like my fingers I like my knees I think I'll stop
0: (laughs) and you know what I'm talking about I know exactly what you're talking about now uh now let me ask you: Is there, was there any connection? At, I mean, soccer is obviously in in the Latin American world. I mean, it's it, it's enormous. Well, it is every place else on the planet except here. But um, was there any connection there, or did you meet did you meet folks? Was it easier to connect to some of the musicians because you had this kind of shared love of the common sport, or is that? Am I just reaching too
1: far? No, you're not reaching at all. I played for the Brazilian soccer club here. I learned a ton of stuff about Brazilian music. A lot of the people in the soccer clubs I played with would come see me play with my bands. It was a perfect marriage. That's, that's how I started learning Spanish, how I started to understand Portuguese or Brazilian culture in the different countries. And our, to this day, I still see people I play soccer with that will come to gigs that I do.
0: That's fantastic. The soccer-jazz connection, I, if we got to figure out how to work this thing out, because uh, <laughs> I, we've hit on something here. And let's... <laughs> You're
1: the first person that's ever asked me about that
0: well we got to, we got something here so uh, later on we'll figure out this enormous you know soccer and jazz organization that we're going <laughs> to form worldwide but right now let's go back to the music um you've really you've picked uh, on this record and and infinity was much like this too it's such a fantastic mix of music and on this the composers that you've gone to uh, there's certainly there's tunes of your own and there's tunes by Ellington, but they're given very different readings. And then there's a really fascinating take on Freedom Jazz Dance. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what you've done with that and and where the idea
1: came from? I'm a big fan of Eddie Harris. I've always respected him as an innovator in so many different levels. As As a composer, of course, as an instrumentalist, and an innovator in experimenting with different types of instruments. Amazing musician. And i kind of been working on that arrangement of Freedom Jazz Dance for a while. As you're a musician, you can tell like I displaced the melody in one place. I did that on purpose just to give it a little different kick and then to harmonize it again. Then I got the idea that it, it was nice to fit it rhythmically with something different like the bomba from Puerto Rico and give it an Afro-Puerto Rican style. And it worked really well because like Baile de Libertad and you think about everything that Puerto Rico's gone through with the bombing at Vieques, it just really symbolically seemed like the right thing to do instead of just trying to do it like a mambo. And I've had a lot of um, my Puerto Rican friends just been really touched by this hearing a bomba like that with all of that movement melodically.
0: You take it, then you move it, then you get it down And then you're certain of the people that are walking
1: around I de Libertad
0: Bailin de Libertad Que bonita bandera Que bonita bandera Mueve la cadera, baila la bomba y mas Now the tune is really funny. You know, it's interesting that you hit on that combination because I mean, if you just hear Freedom Jazz Dance, that melody is well, first of all, it's a tough melody, but but second of all, it's so it is so rhythmically disjointed that. Uh, it, I don't know, it's it's surprising to me that it, it struck you as something that would fit well over such a kind of rhythmically fixed idea um, as what you've paired it with here, but it certainly does work,
1: as you mentioned. Well, the, the, one of the real blessings I have is I've had a working band for four years now, and we'll experiment with things. And sometimes things just happen on the gig, and as we play this tune... I originally, I don't know if I had it as a bomba originally, but it kind of morphed into it. I went, oh, okay. And that just gave me a lot of flexibility of moving around that rhythm.
0: Well, you've uh, you've hinted at my next question, which was going to be to ask you to talk about the people who are in your working band, who are all uh, top-notch players. Will you just tell folks who they are?
1: Yeah. On uh, bass, we have David Belove, who I've known Jesus forever. And um, fabulous musician, David is a great photographer, by the way. He's been doing a lot of uh, work of over the years of uh, like Francisco Acquarela and different folks. And I think he's getting ready to have his first photo uh, showing. Uh, of course, we have Michael Spiro on percussion, musicologist, percussionist extraordinaire, professor at Indiana University now. Now, that's another story because he commutes back and forth between the Bay Area and Indiana. He's there for a week, then he's here for a week. Wow. Uh, Murray Lowe on piano, one of the jewels of the San Francisco Bay Area scene. It's an incredible player in different styles of Latin jazz, but a wonderful jazz player, too. And we have the ubiquitous Mr. Paul von Wackeneggen on trap trumps. And Paul is the chameleon that just goes through any style from Brazilian to Scott, Ahsoka, to, <laughs> to Afro-Cuban.
0: Listen, I love that the the first names of the five guys in your Latin jazz band are Wayne, Murray, Michael, David, and Paul. <laughs> Which really sounds like they ought to be. You know, kind of mop top, like the the other the guys who didn't quite make it into the Beatles. It's just it's beautiful that this music. I mean, everybody can has absorbed this music. It seems like in the world.
1: It's really interesting. I know, like we play Afro-Cuban music, and like somebody come up to me and goes, "So, what part of Cuba are you from?" I go, "Oh, San Francisco."
0: That's right. I'm from the <laughs> Bay Area of Cuba. You know.
1: But oh yes, but I have spent time there, as has everybody else in the band, actually. Well,
0: well. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. I, the um, there was a lot of there has been controversy at various times over the years about like, who should play jazz, for example, and whose whose province uh, was jazz music. As if a you could figure out what jazz means in that sentence, and b yeah. as if anyone owns it. But uh, I mean, let's talk about the same thing in the in the Latin context. I mean, it it doesn't seem like a music that needs to be owned, or uh, you know, it doesn't seem like you need to have. know, grown up in Havana or in San Juan or in Bolivia or any place else to figure out how to play this music. It seems like it could be like any other kind of music that you can embrace it and immerse yourself in it and off you go.
1: I totally agree. Uh, I think that the biggest thing that any artist and musician or any type of artist needs to do is to be true to themselves and true to their roots. Like I said earlier, that jazz is very accommodating of other styles. Cuban music is, too. Afro-Cuban music is very accommodating. There's a fine line, I think, of taste of what you can do and what you can't do. And just for my own taste, I never try to portray the music in a way that, I, for lack of a better term, as you said, that I own it, but I'd love to partake of the well of what it has to offer. My, I know what my, my background is really... Has been in jazz and R and B, and I've really just moved towards Afro Caribbean music and tried to pull those things together, so it really rings true when you hear me play.
0: Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction. Um, Yeah, I I don't mean to suggest that if you you know kind of fake a Latin rhythm. That then everything's cool I mean, it, uh, but I think what, that's not what you're doing what you've done is spent serious time studying and traveling and immersing yourself in the music and I mean, the results, well you can hear the results on the record
1: yeah I really hope so I really hope so I, I know I am not of that I wasn't born or grew up with all of that and I have total respect for the people who have and there's a lot of folks that have just dedicated their lives to, oh what's a good William Cepeda is a great example I mean, he really is that branch of the Cepeda family that really wants to push Puerto Rican music forward. So there's different things, and I'm actually quite happy with what we've done here in the Bay Area.
0: You, uh, you've invited uh, a number of guests, some of whom we've mentioned onto this record, uh, and, and one you know big name who just jumps out at you on the album cover is Julian Priester. Uh, will you tell folks who Julian is uh, and, and why you invited him to play on this record?
1: My relationship with Julian goes back to when he was in the Wanjishi band with Herbie Hancock. He came through the Bay Area, and they actually had a residency where they stayed here for a while. And I studied with him. And Julian had a profound effect on me musically from the looking at music in the bigger picture, how the totality of what music is about. Very tasteful. One of the, one of my best experiences has just been studying and just being around him. And his history is so rich. Let me see if I can get it right. It's one of the few musicians that's ever worked with Ellington and Sun Ra, if I remember correctly. I think that's right, yeah. And he's just... He was funny on this record. As I started doing some more research on him, I realized he had played in some salsa bands back in New York in the 60s and 70s. Oh no, kidding! Do you, yeah, do you remember know. who is, <laughs> it was, and we started talking about. Oh, you see, I used to work with him. Oh, perfect! So when he played a, on his solos on the record, I was like, "Of course you have! How silly of me!" you, you know what to do. <laughs>
0: Uh, the tune, uh, well, one of the tunes on which uh, you know Julian really stands out in this record, uh, there's actually three trombonists, uh, you and Julian and, and Dave Martell. Uh, I'm actually not familiar with Dave. Will you tell us who Dave is, and then uh, will you talk about uh, your version of going up on here?
1: Okay. Dave is um, a Bay Area trombonist who's just a phenomenal talent. a uh, Wonderful lead trombone player, great educator, and I just enjoy working with him, so I, I I wanted to invite him to be the third trombonist on the record. Going up, I thought it was the perfect vehicle for us. It's a little played Ellington tune, that composition that was recorded by Johnny Hodges in one of his small group recordings, and it and it just seemed perfect for the plunger thing. So I just figured that would be the one to use.
0: And that the, the whole plunger thing, I mean, that draws directly from the Ellington tradition, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Sam Nanton, and of course before that on trumpet, Barbara Miley, and then after Tricky Sam Quentin, Butterball Jackson. Always had to have a. There was always a plunger chair for the trombone section and for the trumpet section. For Ellington. you had to have that. Like, well, like Al Gray in the Basie band too. <laughs> That I I think I played plunger on that, and I played plunger in a sentimental mood. um, Yeah, this is a little bit more of a trombone record, of course. So I want to give all of that juice to the trombone on this record.
0: Well, when you when you book you and Julian Priester on a record, I think uh, I think it's going to go in a trombone direction. I'm just. I'm just Yeah, <laughs> it was
1: it was a lot of fun. And having hey, he he said some funny things in the studio. <laughs> that was a wonderful recording session. I really enjoyed having his energy there.
0: Wayne, when you play this uh, this music live, what kinds of venues have you taken it to? Is it are you playing in places where people dance, where they sit and listen, and both? Uh, how does that work out for you?
1: It has been really interesting. The music affects people, from a visceral standpoint. Quintet can play jazz we can play dance music and a lot of the things we play make people want to dance even though we're improvising and not playing it in a true dance setting it carries that kind of energy so we have worked jazz festivals every once in a while we get hired to do dance gigs we, uh, <laughs> this might be the ultimate wedding band in some respects because we can play Latin we can play R&B we can play klezmer to a certain degree, <laughs> so we—I well, mean—we played a wedding up in the, the wine country, and we went from kisas, kisas, kisas to a Ray Charles tune, and and then everybody was just happy. So we can—I think everybody keeps that in mind—that it is dance music, or it has—it comes from the dance tradition, even when we take the tune out, so to speak. It doesn't totally lose that feeling if it's not played literally.
0: You may be the first musician for uh, for whom a, a career pinnacle has been the ultimate wedding band. <laughs> hey, <laughs> for I'm most people, you. that's at the beginning of the, of the and you have built up to the greatest <laughs> the greatest wedding band of all
1: time. <laughs> I got there's a good story about that. Did you ever hear that Dizzy Gillespie story when he went to New York? I'm sorry, went to Europe with his with a big band, his big band back in the '40s. And he was acclaimed as one of the greatest trumpet players in the world. He came back to New York after this three-month tour and didn't work for two months. And you know the first gig he got was being an accompanist to a musical saw player. <laughs> and then he said, yeah, I read this in one of his books. And he said he just laughed because then he understood what it was all about.
0: Ah. <laughs> uh... Uh, it's a, it's it is both funny and uh, you know a little terrifying at the humbling <laughs> at the same it? time yeah humbling that's the truth. Well, uh, my guest is uh, is Wayne Wallace. Uh, his great new album is Bien Bien, the follow up to uh, Infinity, with his Latin jazz quintet and uh, soccer player, trombonist, uh, composer uh, Wayne Wallace. It's been uh, it's been my pleasure to talk to you. And now I'm serious because. When you and I are accepting our award at the U.N. in a few years for the uh, the soccer-jazz coalition that we're forming, uh, I want to remember that it all started with this interview here. So uh, thank you so much, man. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Set, get, give me a good arrangement of that, and that will be the theme song. Of we'll you
1: know, we're laughing about this. If, if we put together a great arrangement of that, and it goes to South Africa next year, it'd I'm be all you. over brother I'm that's, telling you
0: that's exactly we could finally live in the style to which we would like to become accustomed yes <laughs> well Wayne Wallace it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you I really uh, enjoy the records and uh, thank you for taking the time to do it I hope you'll come back
1: oh no thank you it's a real honor and a pleasure and anytime you want to continue the conversation I'd love to pick it up
0: wayne wallace from his album bien bien you've been listening to the jazz session i'm jason crane the jazz session is presented by allaboutjazz.com the web's leading source for jazz news reviews mp3 downloads and more every episode of the jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in itunes This show has an email mailing list, uh, which is a great way to win free music and also a great way to stay up to date on what's happening on the show. You'll get one email a week on Monday, which tells you uh, what's coming up in the week ahead. And now that there are three episodes every week, that's even more important, so you can stay tuned and keep track. You can sign up for the mailing list at thejazzsession.com. If you're on Facebook, there's a Facebook group for this session, which has, I don't know, 500 and something members so far and uh, you can join that and you'll also get just that one weekly email on Monday the theme music for this show is by the band the Respect Sextet online respectsextet.com thanks also to Dave Vrabel who designed the Jazz Sessions logo the show is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivative works 3.0 United States license thank you so much for listening please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.